You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Uh, today is Communion Sunday, of course, and uh, so we're taking a break from Daniel uh, uh, to... Uh, you know, Daniel's just too long to do that and a communion meditation. Uh, so we're going to look at another prophet today, Isaiah, Isaiah 59, near the end of his book, Isaiah 59, 9 through 19. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's printed in the bulletin for you. You can follow along there. Uh, you can stay seated as I read God's word. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries. Repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help to understand it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God forever. We ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word and help us to understand it and live it out. Prepare our, our hearts, our minds to commune with you through the bread and the wine of your table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Apologies for my voice. I did a little more talking this last week than usual. I know you, you think that's shocking. How could you do more? Uh, plus the grandkids have been passing a cold around, so I think I, I think I got that. So l- lingering after effects of that. Um, 
Well, I, there are multiple relevancies here, right? I, I, if, you, if you are grieved by the unjust invasion of Ukraine, if you are frustrated by the lack of truth coming from the media and from politicians on both sides of the political spectrum, if you are afraid of what your friends are going to say or do if you try to obey Jesus and not go along with the crowd, if you're feeling frustration and guilt uh, at the sin in your own life that you can't seem to move beyond, if you're angry about the state of the economy and how much it costs you to fill up your gas tank, if you're depressed and feeling hopeless, if you're grieved and outraged at abuse and oppression in the larger evangelical church, if you are not a Christian but you're wondering what does it mean to be one, then Isaiah 59 here has something to say to you on all of those things. So as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning, let's, I, let's just briefly unpack these verses under three headings. Number one, the human condition. Number two, uh, the right human response to the human condition. And then number three, God's complete answer. So it's the human condition, the human response, and then God's complete answer. Okay. So first, the human condition. You know, the secular experts will tell you, uh, depending on who you talk to, that the human condition is fundamentally an economics problem uh, or uh, the distribution of goods problem uh, or an education problem, uh, technology problem. Christians, on the other hand, uh, with a worldview that has been formed by the Bible, go much deeper we say that the human condition is fundamentally a God problem. You and I are alienated from God by sin. That's the fundamental fact that gives rise to the human condition, this alienation from God. That's verses 9 through 13 in a nutshell. And this alienation from God uh, is is a result of who you and I are internally, right? The problem isn't our circumstances. It's not our environment. The problem is our hard wiring, right? We aren't sinners because we have sinned. We sin because we are sinners. Right? We sin out of our identity, who we are uh, in, in the core of our being. Verse 13 says, we conceive and speak lying words from the heart. That means that comes out of who we are at, 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 at our center, right? In our deep, at our deepest being, we conceive and speak lies. Uh, verse 10 says, we grope like those who have no eyes. Sin is not like a blindness that might potentially be cured. Sin is like having no eyes at all. That's why it says in verse 10, we stumble at noon, right? In the bright sun of noon, uh, as in the twilight. And magnifying this tragic human condition is that fixing it is beyond our ability. 
beyond human ability. If you have no eyes, for example, neither you nor anyone else can make you see. There's not a human fix for sin. Sin gives rise to a whole bunch of consequences. Both personal. I I think we tend to think of sin in the church as more of a personal thing. And certainly there are personal consequences to sin. But there are also massive corporate consequences to sin. First of all, let's think about it personally. Sin will make you, our inborn sin will make you hopeless and depressed. Verse 9, we hope for light, behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. It will make you an angry person. That bear growl described in verse 11 is a Hebrew word that conveys the idea of a, of a growl of anger. The bear is angry. Our, our human condition, this inborn alienation from God, will also make you sad, right? You'll moan like a dove at the shortness and seeming futility of much of life. And friends, this despair and anger and sadness comes on us because in our sin, what do we do? We look to things other than God for hope, for happiness, and for answers, We look to government or science or, or other people and we wonder why we're despairing or angry, sad. Our inborn sin can also make you a target when you try to walk away from it, when you try to move away from it. Verse 15, he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. I was <clears throat> reading uh, Flannery O'Connor recently. You want to be lifted up by bright and cheery short stories. Don't read Flannery O'Connor. Uh, but she uh, she has uh, one short story called "The Temple of the Holy Ghost," and it's about the the, the key character is a twelve year old girl who's a a Christian, and in the course of conversations, hears, hears that her body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that phrase moves her. In her, uh, and, and quoting O'Connor from the story, it said, "It made her feel like somebody had given her a present." But then her two older girl cousins, a couple of years older than than her, and boy crazy. Uh, made fun of the phrase, laughed at it, ridiculed it, made fun of her, the, the, the girl who, who heard that phrase as a present. Listen, I want to talk to you young people here, right? If you try to honor the Lord uh, with your body, you're going to be teased or opposed or pressured to act in a way uh, that you know is wrong. It's a tragic consequence of the human condition. Well, let's turn to the corporate consequences of of sin. 
look what happens. Verse 14. Truth stumbles in the public squares. I mean, is that an apt description of our day? Isaiah was describing Israel in, you know, 600 B.C. or so, but this, this, is, uh, this is us today. Truth stumbles in the public square. Truth that God creates human life at conception has stumbled and led to millions of unjust killings of unborn children. It's not right. The truth that God created human beings in his own image, male and female, has stumbled. The culture now says that gender is fluid. So now college women have to compete against transgender athletes and lose. It's not fair. Putin says he's denazifying Ukraine by taking out its leadership, ignoring the inconvenient fact that President Zelensky is a Jew. It's a nonsensical lie. People turn back from following God, uh, to use the words of Isaiah, and they start following human leaders. And what do you get? You get abuse and oppression in the church, and you get riots and mayhem in our streets. And all this happens because of sin. So don't ever think, as, as I think we're all at points tempted to think, even I as a preacher, that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is impractical or Pollyannish or naive. Sometimes it looks that way next to the, you know, the, the apparent, the, all the lights and the action and the sexiness of military power, political power, economic power. But friends, human power is to the gospel as a firecracker is to a nuke. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and only the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to ultimately solve the sin problem, which ultimately deals with and in fact resolves the human condition. So, second, then, that's the, that's the first point. Um, the human condition. Now, let's look at the right re- human response to it. It's pretty simple. You need to own it. You, you need to agree that, uh, that your problem and the world's problem is fundamentally a sin problem. It's fundamentally a result of the fact that you are Passively or actively ignoring God, separated from God, alienated from God. You need to face up to your own sin. You need to confess it and then repent, right? Which simply means to turn away from and go in the other direction. And if you look at verses 12 and 13 here, that's, that's really what Isaiah is doing on behalf of uh, himself and the people of God. That's really a prayer. He's, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. He's speaking to God, confessing that uh, we have transgressed your law. He's, He's talking to God, confessing that on his own behalf and on behalf of the people of Israel. So my question 
today is, have you repented from your sin? Have you, well, first of all, have you owned it? Do you, do, you, do you see it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you own it as, as yours? And then uh, have you confessed it to the Lord and, and, and then repented from it, turned from it to, to the Lord? The Lord's table is a wonderful opportunity uh, in our life together uh, to do just that, right? As we, as we come to the table, uh, it's just a good reminder to, to do just those things. Own your sin, confess your sin, turn away from your sin toward God. And what gives us confidence that, that is the, that's going to work, that that will, be, that will restore us? Well, that gets us to the third and final point, right? God's complete answer. Verse 16 uh, is the key verse, I believe, in this whole text. Uh, He, that is God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. The word that's translated wondered there and uh, God wondered that there was no one to intercede is uh, that's not a that's a kind of a misleading translation because I think in English if, if at least it, I think anyway one wondering kind of conveys the idea of questioning it, it, you know you, you don't know why something is so so you're wondering about it right hmm chin scratching God doesn't scratch his chin in wonder. Uh, really, the more literal translation of that Hebrew word is appalled. And, th- and that's really the, 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 the sense here, right? He, God, saw that there was no man and was appalled that there was no one to intercede. Right? It, it, in other words, God, God, is look, God looks on human beings and he sees figuratively that the human house is on fire, but he's absolutely appalled that there's not one person calling 911. Not one person calling on the name of the Lord. Why? Because of sin. Right? That... that Indwelling sin inclines us away from God, not toward God. So what does God do? Well, verse 16 shows us, right? God acts. God, God decides, if, if they're not going to call me, right, then, I, then I, st- I need to act. I need to act to save them. So God's own arm brings us salvation. It's God's righteousness. Listen, friends, it's God's righteousness it's God's holiness, it's God's goodness, not yours or mine, that ultimately upholds you. And this is the story that the bread and the wine tell. Paul, or I mean, uh, Isaiah does it very uh, poetically here, and, it's, and it sounds cool. Right? I, like, I like the imagery. He He's, he's, God's going to come with a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, garments of vengeance, and a cloak of zeal. Uh, the, 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 there are pl- 
various places in the Old Testament, not just here, where you get these clothing imageries. And, and sometimes there are different articles mentioned, right? The belt of truth or shield of faith. And, um, the, uh, uh, and in every case, what the, what, what, what's happening in the Old Testament is that, is that the Messiah is being described. Right, Messiah is is depicted by the Old Testament prophets as this uh, as this powerful, righteous soldier, right, a warrior who who is who is coming on uh, to do battle on our behalf, our champion. It's it's a great, beautiful uh, image, and and the Apostle Paul picks it right up. And you, and you may remember where, right? In the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is telling a New Testament church, put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes through the litany, right? Uh, the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the uh, helmet of salvation, the belt of truth and uh, shield of faith. And I'm guessing, if you're like me, that you have heard sermons on that and what that became was a to-do list. Put on the whole armor of God and you start start checking, okay, I've got to be righteous, I've got to be faithful, I've got to be truthful, I've got to be right. We are so good at turning the gospel into a to-do list. What... What Paul is saying there when he says, put on the whole armor of God, he's saying, put on the Messiah. Put on Jesus. That's who Jesus is. Clothe yourself with him. And how do you do that? You trust him. You come to him. You confess your sin to him. You you throw your life at his feet and say, Lord, I am yours. Save me. And if you've done that, you can come to this table. Why? Because now you're appropriately dressed. You've got a helmet of salvation on and a breastplate of righteousness, right? A belt of truth, a a shield of faith. But it isn't, it's, it's, it's Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's truth, right? It's his faithfulness, right? You have been saved, if you're a Christian, by nothing you have done, but by everything Jesus Messiah has done. Please hear that. Um, I, I was thinking that, that people who aren't Christians really need to hear it, but just this week I've, I've heard, I've, I've, I've talked to people who, who have either are struggling or have family members who are really struggling with this issue. Doubting whether they are Christians because they just don't know if they've been good enough or if they've they've done enough. Listen, listen, right? If that's you, Christianity is not learning the rules and then doing them well enough so God will love you. Christianity is that God loved you. So deeply, so profoundly, that he sent his son on a rescue mission into the world to do what you can't do for yourself. 
to live a sinless life and then to die to pay the penalty for your sin. So when, when Christians come to this table, we aren't, we aren't just resolving to be better so that God will somehow accept us. We come to this table in worship and in glad obedience and in grateful response to the fact that we know God has loved us because the bread and the wine prove it. He gave His Son for us. We're absolutely secure by what Jesus did. But the gospel doesn't end there, right? It's, it's, it's even better than that. Three days after Jesus died for your sin, God raised him from the dead. Well, we will celebrate at Easter, right? And showing us, demonstrating to us that Jesus' sacrifice was found to be acceptable by the Lord. His, his sacrifice on your behalf was, was deemed acceptable. And now death no longer holds Jesus and so, long, so, and so it now lo, no longer holds you. Because anyone living by faith in Jesus as Lord is, is united to him. Right? You're, you're, you, you are united to him. You're covered by him. You're dressed in him. Uh, and, and so uh, death doesn't hold you anymore. Because by his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus gutted sin and death. But the gospel goes on, right? Because the now living Jesus is going to return to earth one more time. The first time was as Savior. The second time is as Judge and Redeemer. Um, And he's going to come, Isaiah says here, like a wind-driven river. Powerful, wind-driven river. And, And when he does, the Lord Jesus is going to sweep away everything that right now makes you sad, and, and mourn and depressed and angry. It's all going to be made new. The evil is going to be judged. Uh, yeah. Education is not the ultimate answer. It's, it's a good thing. It's not the ultimate answer. Economics isn't the ultimate answer. Politics, though... Necessary is not the ultimate answer. The salvation of the Lord Jesus is the answer. The only answer. You know, I I have to keep reminding myself as I read the New Testament that every word of it was written under circumstances similar to but much worse than our own. Right? That... that, uh, uh, Worse poverty, worse disease, uh, worse opposition, worse persecution. Uh, Those Christians were being killed, not canceled. I don't like to be canceled. I don't like to be slapped. Don't get any ideas, anybody. Uh, They were killing Christians, right? And, 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 and those Christians, none of those Christians had any political power. Right? 
But, but, but every page of the New Testament is, is filled with, with hope and life and courage and love, right? So, we need to, in the meantime, as we, as we wait for the return of Jesus and the ultimate resolution of the human condition, we, uh, like Psalm 27 says, we need to wait for the Lord. We need to be strong, let our hearts take courage, and wait for the Lord. And as we wait, let us do, as Isaiah says right here, to fear the name of the Lord, worship the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun, the east. Amen? Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to the table. Father, thank You for this good prophetic word from, from Isaiah. And now, um, Lord, as we come to this table, bringing to mind Your rescue mission as our righteous warrior champion, uh, I pray that we would uh, confess our sins, that you would have mercy on us and forgive us our sins, that you would convict us of our sins, but also, Lord, convict us of the truth of the gospel that we stand before you in your perfection, in the perfection of your Son. And so we are fully known and fully accepted and fully loved. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If I'd ask the elders to come forward, get started here. As they're coming forward, let me read to you from uh, Matthew's Gospel. As they were eating, this is the Last Supper, which is Passover meal, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. And for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, the bread and the wine, you know, look, look to the past, to the, to the um, death of Jesus to pay our penalty for our sin. Looks to the present um, as we trust in that, uh, in, in Jesus' sacrifice every day. And it looks to the future because Jesus says, uh, you know, I will eat this with you again, new with you in my Father's kingdom. Um, That's our ultimate hope, right? The coming of God's kingdom, the resolution of the human condition. Well, I've said most of it already, right? If If you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, member of any other evangelical church, not under the discipline of the elders, um... You're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are clothed in Him, uh, and that means that you can you are f- fully and appropriately attired to come to this table, right? Uh, forever, uh, you have you have the Lord's righteousness and you have His forgiveness. Uh, so come, and uh, if you're like. Uh, 
those believers I referred to just a couple of minutes ago that have just such sensitive consciences about their sin um, and therefore have some uncertainty about their status before God and doubts about whether you're good enough. Um, Listen, thankfully, our status before God does not depend upon our feelings. And nor does it depend upon the perfection of our work. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're weak and sinful creatures. Um, and we, we've, we fall short of God's glory all the time. Now, don't find your confidence in, in how you conceive of your holiness. Find your confidence in the holiness of Jesus for you. Right? That's where it is. And come. Really, you need to come. And eat this bread and wine. If you're not a believer, um, th- this is this is this table is a sacrament for believers, and there are warnings in Scripture about eating it in unbelief. So, just let it go by. We we don't want to force you to do something that is inconsistent with your beliefs or violates your conscience. Uh, but I do want to d- urge you, as I d- do every time we celebrate communion, is is that you've heard now. Uh, the good news you've heard the gospel and and really there's it's the annoying thing about Jesus is he demands a response and 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 the response is has to be pretty definitive right you either have to embrace him for who he is uh, and what he has done for you or you have to uh, deny him and, and say he is he, he is not who he said he was and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe it but uh, there's no real easy middle ground with Jesus like you know I, I respect him as a holy man that doesn't cut it no you have to fall before him uh, as your savior and your lord so uh, my, my invitation to you is to do that um, uh, you know you'll never quiet that conscience of yours, you'll, that voice in that that says that you're not good enough, the the that feeling that you're fooling people. There is one who knows you fully, and yet fully loves you, um, and he's demonstrated that through his son. So, instead of taking the bread and the wine, accept the gift of Jesus by faith. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we're going to eat this bread and wine now, as you have commanded us to do. Um, We pray that your spirit would come and uh, commune with us. That's why we call it communion, Father, that you would communicate to us through your spirit in this time. Uh, As we hold something in our hands and put something in our mouths, it's real that we can feel and taste and smell. It's a reminder of... um, that our faith is not some esoteric uh, thing. It's not, it's not some timeless, airy, eternal truth floating around out there, uh, that our faith is based in, in a flesh and blood reality, that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and was raised for us. Um, and help us, Spirit, to, to eat the bread and the wine in that spirit and in that celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton. Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. 
please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.